Thank you for tuning in. How can we successfully grow and maintain, let alone enhance, both our ideal culture and our performance? Although it can be incredibly difficult, it's not complicated. It's about being intentional, strategic and collaborative, focused on people, and getting our team to think next level up. And our guest today, Barry Barber, Executive Vice President of Kimley Horn, walks us through how they have been able to successfully grow from hundreds to thousands and do so without job descriptions, remarkably few rules, little bureaucracy, and only a single profit center. It's an impressive feat in one most leaders and leadership teams would like to accomplish at any scale. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Barry Barber, Executive Vice President at Kimley Horn, and we'll be talking about culture and performance and how to maintain that at scale. Welcome to the podcast, Barry. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be with you and the listeners. Well, great. Well, we're excited that you're here today. Um, but as we begin, can we start by getting to know you a little bit um, about your career, what you focus on today, and also a little bit about Kimley Horn? Sure. Um, I joined Kimley Horn about 27 years ago. Uh, prior to that, I uh, attended college at Wake Forest University, was an accounting major, and uh, spent the first nine years of my career working for the firm was then called Pete Marwick and is now called KPMG. And in January of 1994, I got a call from a friend of mine um, asking if we could have lunch. And I literally thought he was calling to raise money for charity because I've hit on him for my charities before. And instead it was uh, what I consider coming to work for a little company called Kimley Horn, which at the time had about 500 employees. And at the end of lunch, um, I basically told him he was crazy. And he asked me if I was willing to listen. And I said, yes. And uh, four months later, I went from you're crazy to I'd be crazy not to. And uh, so in June of 1994, joined Kimley Horn and have been here since. Um, originally, my, uh, my time with Kimley Horn was in Phoenix. I spent about four and a half, five years there in kind of a business and operational role uh, for what was in our West region. And then in uh, um, uh, basically 1999, over the course of several months, I transitioned back to Raleigh, which is where I was before joining Kimley Horn. And uh, for about 20 years, was Director of Human Resources for Kimley Horn. And uh, it's a role I transitioned uh, to a, a partner about a year and a half ago or two years ago, and uh, now spend my time primarily in recruiting and, and other elements of helping to, uh, to lead and manage the company. Um, I'm expected to become the, the chairman of the board of Kimley Horn in April of next year. Wow. Okay. Um, go ahead. So you can share a little bit about Kimley Horn. Yeah, about Kimley Horn. So we're a, a Kimley Horn is an awesome firm. And uh, so one thing I have to acknowledge up front is I'm a homer. Um, I love I love the place, and I'll be the first to acknowledge we have some weaknesses. But uh, 
probably today I'll talk more about the strengths of strengths of the firm. Uh, we're about 45, 4,600 people right now uh, in plus or minus 90 offices. We're we're, we're coast to coast, um, certainly not in every state, but we're in we're in most states. Uh, kind of think traditional civil engineering is, is sort of our bread and butter. In the early days of the firm, we were primarily a transportation related firm. Um, today, our, our biggest piece of business is actually in what we call development services, so kind of private sector, land development type of thing. We, we do pretty much all civil engineering except uh, geotech. That's a, a field we haven't gotten into. Have, uh, you know, good, good amount of environmental work. Uh, also, uh, a little bit of MEP uh, work that we're starting to build, but think primarily civil planning, transportation related kind of a, kind of a firm. Uh, we're, we're privately owned. Uh, we have about 600 of us that are owners. It's a very broadly distributed ownership. Um, in fact, our, our largest owner owns less than 3%. And I, I think there's probably less than 10 or 15 of us that, uh, that actually own more than 1%. And that's by design. We want it to be a, a very broadly distributed ownership so that we add, add to new owners uh, twice a year and bring in lots of new folks uh, to be part of the ownership of the firm. All right. And I, and I, I want to dive into the culture and the performance because it's, it's been um, really impressive, but I, I want to just start, just going to dig a little deeper in what you, you said. You, you have an accounting background, you came to the company, but yet you got into operations and then a director of HR. How, how, and and I, I believe that ties into the, the culture and really focusing on people and having, creating the environment where people flourish and don't, aren't tied to, you know, sort of a job description. Can you share a little bit about, are you a product of the culture? I mean, how, how did, yeah. how did, how were you able to sort of migrate um, professionally? Well, I, I often say that I don't think any, any, any company in America would hire me for the role that I've had other than, other than Kimley Horn. And I frankly probably wouldn't blame them for, for not hiring me. Um, so I was an accounting major, and when you're an accounting major, you go to work for accounting firms. And so that's, that's what I did. I spent nine years working for what was then one of the big eight, which became six, which I guess is now four accounting firms, and I served clients. I was an auditor. Um, about halfway through my time with Pete Marwick, I was asked to do a 16-month rotational assignment in the firm's executive office um, in their Office of Professional Development. So basically for a, almost a year and a half, I taught, developed, developed, and administered training classes. And the truth is I had a blast doing it, loved it. And um, even when I got back to Raleigh after doing that, I continued to teach training classes. And so I kind of always considered training as sort of being a professional hobby. I had a second professional hobby, which was recruiting. And I would, was responsible in the accounting world for the recruiting for my office. And so I'd probably spend, I don't know, 20, 30% of my time between training and recruiting that was kind of over, over and above my, my client service. So when I got to Kimley Horn, I moved into a role that was probably largely based on my academic background, my, my financial background. Um, but essentially, we were looking for some help just in terms of kind of the leadership and management for a portion of the firm. And so I was asked, asked to do that. Um, one of the things I think we do well as a firm is focusing more on talent and passion and attributes than, you know, specific cookie cutter, you know, filling in, you know, you have to check this box technically to be able to do that role kind of thing. And it's essentially let's let people do what they're good at and what they love. And so 
it, it sort of happened organically, but the two things that I considered sort of my professional hobbies, training and recruiting, more or less became a full-time gig. And um, thankfully, there were enough people on staff that I would say were real HR people, because I'm, I'm not one. Um, the next time I take a human resources class, it'll be the first. Um, and fortunately, there were enough people that, that understood labor law and other kinds of things to, to keep us out of trouble. But um, I think I was able to bring a, a little bit of a different perspective, both in terms of understanding the business of the firm, as well as having been a former client server when I was in the public accounting world, I was serving clients just like the vast majority of our staff do. So I think I had a little empathy um, for that sort of a, a lifestyle as well. And it's just kind of worked well. And again, I, I don't think that any other company would hire me. Um, and frankly, I don't know that I could work anywhere else um, because the, the way we approach um, things with our culture, the things with our, our employees, I think is just dramatically different than any other organization I've seen. Well, let, let's use that and dive into culture. I mean, culture is, is obviously such a huge part of an organization's success. How, how do you define workplace culture and how would you describe the culture at Kinley Horn? Oh goodness, that's a that's a, a hard one because it's such a broad a broad topic. Um, we try very hard to articulate our culture um, in writing, um, and so we have a core we have a core purpose, we have core values, um, which are more than just words on a page. We actually, I think, use them and we refer to them frequently as we make decisions or as we set chart new courses. Um, we also have a, a, a book that uh, um, that's entitled Culture and Philosophy. It's we have at, at Kimley Horn, the different books we have our little pamphlets um, are kind of known by their color. Um, and this happens to be our green book. And our, our green book is on on culture and philosophy. I remember back in the spring of 1994, receiving a copy of that green book. And it's changed a little bit. We've made a few words. We've updated the, the look and feel of it. We added the word culture and words, culture and to the philosophy to make it, um, to, to change the name slightly. But I remember as a, a, a younger person reading that book and saying, this resonates with me. The way that they're describing the way they do business, I can sign up for that. I can get excited about that. And what I have found, you know, 20 some years later, is those words were accurate. They weren't just words on a page, they were reality in terms of how we do business. And so a, a, a book like that, um, you know, coming out of the recession back in, I guess it was 2010 or 2011, we um, it, it had been some struggling years and um, we kind of, kind of went all in on culture as a way of building out of the great recession and we came up with what we call our culture kaleidoscope, which are different elements of our culture that we've articulated. And then over the course of a 18 month period, we covered um, one of those attributes every couple of weeks. And, and so it was a way of kind of reintroducing our staff to, uh, to who we are as a firm, what we believe. And so, um, so at the end of the day, I think what culture is, is something that guide, provides guiding principles to help you make sound decisions um, as you go about your day. We're a firm that does not have a lot of rules and regulations. We don't have a lot of bureaucracy. In fact, we're amazingly absent of bureaucracy, amazingly absent of, um, of policy. 
Instead, what we have is a lot of guidelines, you know, and so as you're approaching a particular issue, these are some guidelines to consider. So know the guidelines, know the culture, and then go and make a great decision. Don't feel like you have to get 17 people to check the box uh, to approve the decision, go and do it. And that just helps us to be a whole lot more efficient. Uh, and I think it also just empowers staff to do the right thing, to be more quickly, to, to, to make decisions more quickly and to be more agile. And I think that's a, a, a true strength of our firm. Right. Well, and it decentralizes some of the decision-making. How do you, I mean, it must be um, coupled with a culture of accountability yeah. in order to there, sort of maintain that. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I mean, certainly there is, there is a lot of accountability that's there. We're, a, we're very much of a performance-based firm. And, um, you know, everybody, everybody knows it. It's a strength and it adds a level of um, intensity to organization that I think is, is helpful. But I think the other thing that, it, that we are is extremely collaborative. And um, one of the things we often say is the more responsibility you have, the more it is incumbent on you to get partnership and to be collaborative. And so if you look at the people who have been, I'll call them senior leaders of our firm, over the last couple of decades, and these are all folks I know very, very well, almost to a, sing to a person, they are all defined by being extremely collaborative people. Um, they're not a lot of people, we, we use the phrase at Kimley Horn, they're no Lone Rangers. Um, and so the idea of you have a lot of authority, but because you have a lot of authority, you feel the responsibility to be collaborative and get partnership. And I think that's been one of the, the strengths of our firm. And it's kind of a, you can almost think of that as a tension, but I think it's a very healthy tension of authority along with the responsibility to be collaborative. And, and those that make decisions that are kind of on their own, you know, probably uh, learn over time that that's not the thing to do, or they might find themselves with a little bit less responsibility going forward. Right. And, and so, all right. So you, as Joined the company at, at 500 employees, 4,500 employees now. I mean, and you were offered an early version of the Green Book or an original version yeah. of the Green Book at the time. How, how have you been able to maintain that culture or enhance it through growth cycles? And, you know, there's a lot of leaders who have a concern with growth that it might change the culture in a negative way. How, how do you embrace growth and maintaining and enhancing culture? And, and have there been major inflections from 500 to 1,000, 1,000 to 2,000, 2,000 to 4,000? How would you kind of walk yeah. through the growth and maintaining and enhancing culture? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. When people talk about growth, there's usually two things that they say that they fear. That if we grow, we're going to lose our profitability. And if we grow, we're going to lose our culture. Um, on the first point, our experience is the faster we're growing, the more profitable we are. Because that's usually indicative of the fact we're slammed with work. And when we're slammed with work, we're, we're, we're more profitable. So, so again, when we're not growing is when we tend to be less profitable. So that, that part we're, we're very comfortable with. The second part is something that I, I think there are many of us that wake up every day thinking about that very exact question. Um, and I'll flippantly say that when we were 500, people were talking fearfully about how will we retain our culture when we're 1,000. I mean, literally the meeting where I was asked to be the director of human resources, that meeting was a planning meeting. It was in 1996. 
And the topic that it was focused on, excuse me, 1997, the, the topic it was focused on was going from 600 to 1,000 without losing our culture, right? And so back 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, we were talking about that issue at a completely different scale. And then I remember discussions, we are 1,200, how can we become 2,000 and not lose our culture? You know, we had a planning meeting a couple of years ago. We were about 2,500 people at the time. And the planning topic was, how do we go from 2,500 to 7,500 successfully, right? And cult being, maintaining our culture, being a big part. So, so the first answer to your question is, we talk about it all the time, and it's a very, very big priority for us. So I think that's, that's one. Um, second thing is, we focus on new employees. We put an intense effort to help our new employees learn our culture because that's a way if, you, if, if, if the new employees don't get it, when you're growing quickly, you're gonna quickly become um, less, um, less successful in terms of your culture. So incredible intensity based on, on new employees. Um, another piece of it is we're not a firm that's grown through merger. Um, that's just not, that's not really a part of our, our playbook. I mean, occasionally we'll have a situation where there's a person or two we really want in order to get them, they, they have a little firm. And so we'll have them come in as a firm, but th that's a, a, a minority of, of our growth as opposed to you bring in a lot of people from another organization that has its own culture. Those two cultures collide invariably. There's some, some lessening of, culture um, of the original firm. And that's just not been part of it. It's one of the reasons why M&A hasn't really been part of our, um, our growth plan. Uh, and it, it hasn't been, nor will it be going forward um, because of the importance of, importance of culture. So those are a couple of things that, that, that come to mind. It's just an, it's an intense focus on maintaining the culture, incredible intentionality about that going forward. Um, real emphasis on new employees and um, you know, being aware of where there are times and places that might cause some tensions and trying to nip those issues in the bud. So it's really be, it, it, I mean, it's being very proactive. Does, yeah. does that extend to your recruiting and onboarding? And how has that changed over the years? Are you very intentional with even who gets to get an interview and then certainly who gets an offer? And then once they're here, how, how, I mean, I assume it's more than a day-long orientation. I mean, what, what does the sort of yeah. the process look like? Yeah, well, I mean, we certainly try to recruit um, based on the culture. Um, and I think we have a sense of, of what that looks like. There, we have various, um, you know, various documents that we've, we've talked about as to what are the attributes or characteristics that uh, um, will cause a person to be successful when they come, in, come into the firm. And where we hire at the most quantity is off the college campus. And so, you know, this year it was about 500 um, new college grads that joined us and we've been, we've been big numbers uh, each year for, for as long as I can remember. So um, five, wait, oh, was it five, uh, 4,500, 4,600 person firm, but 500 college graduates yeah. joining you? Yeah, yes. Yeah, last year it was 520. So 2019 was 517. Um, this year, um, we had planned on hiring about 560. Um, we ended up hiring 490 instead. We tapped the brakes when, the COVID, when COVID hit, um, just because we were concerned about what that might mean. And so, uh, yeah, so we hired 
you know, average between 2019 and 2020, 500 each year, a year. Yeah, so that's um, almost yeah. it's a little bit more than 10% of your workforce is sort of, renew, you know, adding exactly. to that. Exactly. Every, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we, we have very much of a, and this gets to the culture thing, we have a grow our own kind of mentality um, relative, relative to um, um, building our staff, because if you get people early in their career, you teach them the way you want things to be done. Um, you give them a lot of opportunity. It works out really well. I mean, how often do you hear firms say, God, have someone at a firm say, I really want that per- perfect person with five years, right? And, you know, you can call them the unicorn, you can call them the spotted unicorn, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, we obviously hire people with five years. We find them, we hire them as do other firms. But our, our kind of the way we think is, gosh, we messed up by not hiring them three or four years ago and challenging the heck out of them because they'd be perfect right now. Right. And so we've we've been through those cycles where in the past we didn't hire as many people as we should have and we regret it. And so we're we're uh, year in, year out committed to an extremely strong, large, vibrant college recruiting program. It's, and that it's, works it's the, the lifeblood of our company. It's the lifeblood of our company. And they can work their way through the system year after year. Exactly. Exactly. After exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, you're you're not going to keep all of them. I mean, there are going to be folks that decide that this isn't what they want to do. Um, they're going to be those that, uh, um, you know, don't make it. They're not, they're not strong enough to, to make it. And then everything in between, but our retention rates are, are pretty, pretty doggone good, um, for, for that, with that population with really everybody, but that, that group in particular, we do do quite well. Right. Well, I, 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 I do want to get into your, um, best place, best companies to work for with fortune, but just uh, on the onboarding piece what how yeah. long is your onboarding process for you know new grads and even if someone comes to you with 5 10 15 20 years experience how long do you sort of indoctrinate them sort of formally into yeah. this is what you need to know in addition to your job yeah there i mean it, it's it it varies um so let me start with uh, with senior people first um when when a senior person well when a senior person joins us we have a, an integration team that is, is put in place. It's usually two, three, four people um, who get together with them on a regular basis, let's say quarterly. And that generally extends for about 18 months just to help them learn the company, help them navigate it, learn them how to you know, help them get started in a very, very positive way. We also have all of our new senior people attend a three-day training class called Culture and Philosophy. Um, I was actually in the inaugural class of Culture and Philosophy back in 1994. So we're, you know, 20-some years in of doing that uh, uh, that particular program. So it's been going on, been going on a long time. And, and it's, it's, it's a class that's taught by our senior leaders um, that really digs, dig, digs into not only this is what our culture is, but more importantly, this is why our culture is the way it is. So people really kind of understand it. That whole idea of explaining the why is something that we as a firm put a very, very high um, priority on. Because if, if people understand why you do something, it helps them to be able to accept it more and also help them to apply it more in, in different situations. Um, with our, uh, pretty much everybody else, um, I, I'd say it's probably, a, I don't know, six to nine month-ish kind of a thing. Um, we have several tools that are, that are in place. Um, when, a, when a person joins us, they're given a, a little book um, that is designed to help them learn different elements of the culture. And um, there are assignments that you're given in the book 
you know, go interview a person who's been here 10 years and talk about this, go on the intranet site and do that and blah, blah, blah. And when you're finished with it, you check the final box and you get a, a coupon um, for a gift on the Kimley Horn store. Yeah, so go buy some Kimley Horn swag as, as far as that goes. Um, when a new employee joins us um, that has a, a spouse or a, um, um, a partner, that, uh, that person, we will, we will send something to the home so that the non-employee gets it. Um, so it's a, it's a welcome package for them. And, uh, um, you know, it's going to have, you know, the, the standard welcome to Kimley Horn. Um, every once in a while, there's a husband that doesn't tell their wife a whole lot about um, how benefits work. Um, and so here's the, here's the list of contacts of what you need to know from a health insurance perspective. And in case uh, that, that, uh, that husband of yours hasn't been communicating well, and here, if you have an issue, here's someone you can call to get help. But it also includes a, a coupon for the couple to take an existing Kimley Horn cult couple out to dinner, right? So new employee and her husband um, can invite another employee and their husband or wife um, to go out for dinner. So it's a, it's a way of kind of helping the, the spouse or partner um, get up to speed and, and just get a little bit of a little bit of a welcome as well. The other thing, and earlier I alluded to the, the culture kaleidoscope, um, and there were different attributes uh, of the culture. And so what happens when an employee joins us, they're encouraged, um, we, we call, we have a thing, it's called your place, your path. Um, and essentially, they're on, in bite-sized chunks, encouraged to um, learn about different elements of our culture. And essentially, we're repackaging the stuff we did back in 2010, 2011, to describe elements of our culture for our existing employees then, to be used by our new employees going forward to learn things like that. And so that's a, um, you know, I, again, I, if I was a real HR person, I could tell you how long that lasts. Um, I can't remember if it's six months, nine months, 12 months. It's in that order. It's not two weeks. It's a, it's a longer period of time that they go through that process. And then with our, our new, the new grads that I mentioned earlier, there are also a series of training classes that they participate in, um, you know, as early as about, uh, uh, you know, three months in, um, you know, all the way through, um, you know, the class when they're probably been here 12 to 18 months and another when they've been here about three months, three, three years that are designed to help them learn uh, different elements of the culture as well. So it's kind of a, a, a wide combination of things. And we, have, of course, have all the, the standard stuff. You get a buddy uh, when you join who helps you that's different than your supervisor. Um, you know, there are a variety of, um, of different uh, webinars that we offer to new senior people to learn different aspects of the company as well. So it's a, it's a pretty intensive um, set of activities. Yeah, but I mean, but the, the takeaway I'm getting is it's very intentional and yeah. it's, and it's, it's pretty deep and strategic in yes. really number one, getting the culture laid out and yeah. having people sort of under, make sure they understand it. And, and as they, the longer they stay, the, the more they're probably part of it. And if they don't want to be part of it, they exit earlier. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's a, um, one of my colleagues uses the phrase that learning the Kimley Horn culture is like peeling back layers of an onion, right? And at, at this point, I'm, I'm pretty inner circle. But the truth is, I still have times when I'll talk to an old timer. And I'll learn story, I'll hear stories about why things are the way they are. 
that I'd not heard of before. Um, I was actually on the other end of that. I was talking with one of my senior partners this morning, and I made a comment of, um, you know, this is, you know, she's getting ready to teach a training class that I have taught in the past. And I said, you know, this is where I tell this story. And she says, I've never heard that before. Right. And this is a, a very, very senior person. And, and, and I happen to be on one end of it today, but there are examples of the same kind of thing happening where I learn stories um, the same way. So it's a, it, there's a, there's a lot there. It's a, it's a deep, it's a deep culture. Right. Well, your investment in culture and, 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 and the sort of the performance probably associated with that has, has landed you um, in on, on fortune's best companies to work for uh, for a while. Can you share a little bit? How did that come to be? What, what does that process entail? Yeah, well, um, years ago, um, we used to participate in, in um, CE News had a best places to work um, thing within our industry. And so we started participating in it. And we did pretty well the first couple of years. And then ultimately, um, we won that competition three out of four years. And at that point, we said, it's probably time for us to do something a little different than that. We were, our profile was, we were a lot bigger firm than most of the firms that were participating in that. And, and um, so we, we kind of said, let's, you went it three out of four times. There's probably nowhere to go, but down. <laughs> so let's, let's try something different. And, and fortune um, was out there. And I, and I can't remember whether or not fortune at the time was, you had to be at least 500 people or a thousand people, but it was in that, maybe it was a thousand. And, um, and so we were over that bar to, to be able to participate. Um, we applied one year and we were unsuccessful. Um, we applied the next year and we got on. Um, and I think we debuted at number 46 or something along those lines. And so we've now, we've now um, been on their list 13 times. I can't say it's 13 consecutive. We dropped off a few years during the recession um, and, and, uh, um, and then we're able to get back on and we've been back on, you know, I think since 2011 or 2012, something in that, that order of magnitude. Um, it's a great process. I mean, it's a really, really good process. Um, I, I want to say it's, I think it's three quarters of the score of the ranking is based on employee surveys. And it used to be, it was a sample of your, of your employees. And now it's every employee in the firm gets um, a, a survey. Um, it is a, um, you know, plus or minus 50 questions and everybody uh, does, does their ranking. Um, you know, all employees uh, give, give feedback. And that in and of itself has been terrific for us because it is a independent thing. It's completely anonymous. And I mean, I was in a meeting earlier this week where the employee survey results were actually um, uh, you know, an attachment for our meeting because we were talking about an element of our, our workplace experience and we were using that as a, a way of guiding. We were comparing, you know, what did the 2020 survey results say relative to prior years and is it getting better, is it getting worse, all that kind of stuff. So it's, very, it's been very helpful just having that survey there. Um, the other 25% of the, the score is basically based on how you answer a bunch of questions. Um, and, you know, they get to different elements of, uh, of things. What is good about this particular program? One of the things that's good about this program is it's fortune's not the ones who makes the decisions. They outsource that. So it's not based on, you know, what's your ad, you know, how many ads are you buying with fortune, um, to be able to curry favor. It's completely independent of that. 
So there's really not a lot of opportunity to pay to play, um, if you will. So it's, it's very, very independent. Um, we're, we're very proud of it. I mean, we are, um, I, I can't say we do anything specifically to try to stay on the list. It's not like we're saying, oh, gosh, let's go do this because it's going to help us in this particular survey. We see it as more of a byproduct of doing the right things. You know, we see it if we, if we are, our core purpose is to provide the environment for our people to flourish. We believe if we're providing the right kind of environment, then we're going to be a great place to work. And if we're a great place to work, our survey results will, will tell that story. And thankfully, um, thankfully they have. And, and uh, when you participate in the overall big competition, um, you're automatically entered in some other ones where they, they look at, they drill down. And so, you know, for example, I think this is our second or third time we're, we're considered the, the best uh, consulting and professional services to work for in America. We've, we're, we're number one right now. I think this is our second or third time doing that. You know, we're on the best places for women, the best places for millennials, best places for families. I mean, we're parents. I mean, so there are a variety of things like that that um, we've been very fortunate to, to be able to um, be recognized with as well. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's, it's really good real-time information too from an organizational perspective, yeah. from a leadership yeah. perspective. Hey, yeah. Something happened, we dropped off the list. What, and then you can real-time within a year sort of, what You can look at the survey and you can see where you tanked. Right. And it's, yeah. and it's, a, and it's independent also probably from well-crafted leadership messaging, because if 75% of it is truly what your employees say, right. I mean, that, that has to be right. Right. more unvarnished. And so, right. um, well, congratulations on, on that and, and the courage to do it in, in a way, I mean, to be able to sort of put yourself out there because um, right. your employees know you did it. So they want to know the results, right? <laughs> yes, so he, exactly. once, you, once you did that, yeah, yeah. how, if, if we could shift to performance, because you mentioned a, a high performance culture, yet mm -hmm. you don't have job descriptions. I mean, what does that look like? How do you drive performance without job descriptions? What metrics do you use? Yeah. Could you sort of unpack sure. that a little bit? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that's kind of weird about us, um, and I say weird in a good way, in my opinion, is we operate with one profit center. Okay, so um, most organizations anywhere near our size have multiple profit centers. We've never had them. We used to say we have no profit centers, um, but the idea of having no and profit in the same sentence wasn't something we were particularly excited about. Um, so we have one profit center. It's the firm as a whole. Um, so if you want to know what the net income is, the only place we can tell you what the net income is is the company as a whole. And that is by design because we want to encourage people to partner. Um, I know in my former life, um, I worked for a firm where, maybe it's different today, but back then, you kind of tried to pull one over on your partners, on the other offices, right? You negotiated with your other offices over things. You hear stories in our industry of the firm that's uh, hiring in Orlando and firing in Tampa, or hiring in North Carolina and firing in South Carolina, which you kind of scratch your head and say, that just doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And so we thankfully have a, um, a, a, a culture, a way of doing business that encourages us to think, well, we, the phrase we use, one level up, kind of think beyond where your particular level is. And the One Profit Center really, really feeds into that. Now, we're organized, our, our big organizational structure is based on geography. Um, we do not have, you know, disciplined lines of business or any of that kind of 
stuff. It's all, it's our, our organizational structure is discipline. We're organized into seven geographic regions. Three of those geographic regions are single states. That's Florida, Texas, and California. And then we have four regions that are, are multi-state um, kind of things. And, and those, those, you know, we, we periodically add a region um, based on, on growth, which is not necessarily new offices. It's more of a reallocation of offices because you know, a region gets too big. You want to kind of get it small enough that you can, can get your arms, arms around it. So in every one of our offices, and in some cases, our larger offices, there are multiple divisions, um, we do track financial performance. Um, the four biggies for us are job starts. Job starts is basically new work, one, and under contract. Okay, think about it, it's food that you put in the pantry. The second one is fees, probably pretty self-explanatory. That's as you eat it out of the, as you eat the food from the pantry, you know, based on is it lump sum or cost plus, and how do you rev recognize revenue, kind of the standard thing there. So, so from a volume perspective, it's job starts and fees. From a profitability perspective, an operational perspective, uh, the two of them are multiplier and utilization. Right, so pretty basic stuff. One thing we do a little bit different than most organizations is we talk about a phrase we call MUT, which MUT basically is multiplied UT. So you take multiplier times utilization, and that becomes your MUT. Right, like and your so, revenue factor. Right, exactly. Different, yeah. And so, so because there'll be places where you've got people are cranking on a little bit lower profitability work. And you got some people that maybe they're doing a little bit higher profitability. It's, so it's a bit of a leveling stick um, between the different types of practices. And so every, every month, um, and, and it's for some of these things, you know, twice a month, we know what our starts are. We know what our fees are. We know what our multiplier is. We know what our utilization is. You know, we can do the math, or at least Excel can do the math between multiplier times utilization. We know what our, our MUD is. Um, and that's really how we manage the firm is also so, it's four, four numbers. And, and at the end of the day, what we really, I mean, if, if, we, if we were to say, well, you can only focus on a couple things, it's job starts and MUT. Job starts is are we winning work, stay healthy? MUT, are we being efficient with, the, with our staff? And, and if, you, if you come down and this is a pure algebra kind of thing, but essentially salary times MUT equals fee, right? And so you want your, you want your MUT to be as high as you possibly can um, because you get as much fee out of your staff. And that's, that's the consulting business <laughs> in a nutshell. And so that's why we focus on it. Right. And, and you can do triage because you're looking at that. And you can do triage if you need to looking at the key metrics. But if you have everyone living one level up and if you have such a, a collaborative culture, you sort of stop the fiefdoms from happening, but you have real data to look at all the time with an ultimate scoreboard. Exactly. And, and you, you also recognize that there are going to be different practices that are at different levels of, of performance. Um, you know, there may be a place where we're making bigger investments. It's a newer office. Um, we're not established in the market. You know, your utilization is probably going to be a little bit lower. Um, there are going to be places where, um, and, I mean, this market in particular, I mean, there are, some, there are some disciplines in our firm that have significant headwinds right now. The market's tough. But we have other disciplines in our firm that are, the wind is at their back, right? I mean, one of the things I didn't mention earlier is that we're roughly a 50-50 split between public clients and private clients. And that's by design. We want, we want the diversity of 
the of a of a split of public and private because in times like today it really helps you um, so we've got geographic diversity we've got discipline diversity and we've got client type diversity all three of them are very very intentional in our part just because we feel like it's it's kind of like when you manage your stock portfolio uh, or your investment portfolio I guess I should say you want to have some blending because it, it just helps to protect you. You have upside, but you also protect the downside. Right. And, and when you know that there's headwinds against these types of you know, particular market sectors and tailwinds, I, I assume you're, you're able to sort of, okay, here's the group, you're working on this and give support in different ways to, like, hey, yeah. let's take advantage of this or, hey, let's look at this a little differently and let's strategically invest in this other thing to be better positioned when this thing turns around. Absolutely. And I'll give two examples of, of, a, of a group that might be um, facing headwinds. Two things we might do. The first thing is we might say, all right, our aviation staff is struggling a little bit right now. All right, probably a tough time to the aviation business is not, it's a little bit of a tough time. They're facing some headwinds. You know, they're civil engineers. They can work on roadway projects. They can work on development services projects. And so we take staff and, you know, kind of cross train them and get them into different things. And so it's a way of keeping them utilized. And that way, when the market does return, you still have them on your team. They go back to what they were doing before and we haven't, we were still strong. And so that, that would be one thing we would do. The second thing we would do is we would look at a market that's difficult and say, and this is counterintuitive, but that's a time we often make investments because that's when a lot of times other firms are um, reducing um, or they're not able to take care of their, their stars quite as well as they would otherwise you know, we'll take the benefit of, of having some national strength and some having some pretty good financial situation. And we'll say this is a great strategic time for us to invest because we know it's going to come back. And when it comes back, we want to be better than we were before. Right. So and then so your cross training is, is providing not just resilience, um, but it's capacity. You know, yeah. resilience to sort of withstand a little lull over here and but it's capacity to sort of deal with the expansion over there right and so that gets into training I, I did want to ask you so you professionally got involved with training and then you know moved into HR how what what does training and development look like at Kimley Horn um, but then even like big picture from professional service like for our industry how do you see train how, how have you seen training and development change over the last 10 or 20 years or have you yeah, and I don't know that I have the best vantage port to comment on the industry. Uh, I mean, I, I know, I know, I'm very familiar with what we've done. I, I'm not a, I'm not a, a very good authority on what what others have done. I would state it this way. Historically, our focus from a training perspective has been on teaching people how to be good consultants. When when you have as broad a range of disciplines as we do, um, you're going to have a, you, you have a bunch of people with two years experience. Some of them are airport designers. Some of them are transportation planners. Some of them are environmental scientists. So if you're going to bring them all together into a training class, you can't do a lot of technical stuff, but largely the principles of project management, the principles of client service, the principles of marketing apply and you need to kind of break it off a little bit that private's different than public and all that kind of stuff but so our emphasis has been on teaching people to be good consultants and so when i joined the firm 20 some years ago 
most of what we did was how to be a great consultant and how, you know, implicit in that, how to do it in the Kimley Horn way, the Kimley Horn culture, right? Where that's been augmented over the last couple of years is a greater emphasis on technical development of our younger staff. And that was probably one of the bigger leave behinds of the Great Recession in a positive way for us is that we said, we've got people who are really good that have some time on their hands. And so we use that to develop a technical training program um, that we still use. So when a person joins us, their first two years plus or minus, they're gonna participate in a technical training program. Most of that is delivered um, um, online. Um, you know, they'll participate in a, a, a video conference. They'll have some assignments that they do online. Um, you know, you know, they'll maybe get together on a conference call to talk about some things. It's not, I mean, a few of our disciplines, it's face-to-face, -face, but mostly it's people sitting in their own office doing, doing their own thing. And so that's been a change. And then the second thing is a, a greater proliferation of targeted trainings. Um, you know, so perhaps it's a, a, a program. We have a program we call people development, which is focusing on how to build people on your team. Um, there may be one on pricing and negotiation. There's one on professional liability, how to sign contracts, or more importantly, how, how not to sign bad contracts, because um, we're, we're real big on that as well. And there's, there's several others that, that I could mention. But um, I think that the, the challenge we're facing today is many of our training classes have historically been face-to-face. -face. So we've had to postpone a lot of meetings this year, a lot of training sessions this year, because of COVID. As we're trying to figure out what to do next year, you wanna talk about a fuzzy crystal ball? What do you do, right? And so we've kind of actually earlier this morning, we announced to our firm what our approach to training is going to be in 2021, uh, which is going to be more stuff being online, virtual training. And there are a couple of our, our big e-courses, our ones that are just our kind of our crown jewel kind of training classes where interaction and relationship building are just crucial that we're gonna to try to do face-to-face do -face next year, um, probably more towards the second half of the year than the first half of the year. Fingers crossed that, that, uh, um, that things are in a position where we can do that in a safe fashion. Um, but it's, so we, we kind of looked at it and said, we've gotta make some decisions. We can't just continue to kick the can down the road. And that's when we said for many, most of our courses, we're going purely virtual. We've made that decision and we have time to get ready to do it well. Right, well that, I mean, that turns into, I, I did, as we start to close here, I did wanna ask you specifically about, you know, COVID-19 and, and um, you know, other sort of changes socially and, and how that is affecting Kim Lee Horn and how do you see, I mean, we've been through, you know, a, a tough summer, upon six months now of COVID, we could be at the end of the first quarter or at halftime with COVID, I mean, so how, how do you see things? We just talked about training, but how, how do you, from a leadership perspective, how are you seeing things moving forward? Or is it day to day, week to week, month? Or how, how, how do you yeah. think that things are changing? Yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, let me start by saying that we're a firm that relies heavily on culture and on relationships. Um, and it's a whole lot builder better and easier to build culture and relationships 
when you're face to face, right? So we have been, we are somewhat now, but our, our intention is to have folks back in the office, all right? So when, when COVID hit, I'd say substantially all of our staff were working from offices. I don't know what the number is, but it certainly started, the percentage started with a nine and it was 95, 98% plus were working in offices. Over the course of a few weeks, we went from almost everybody to no one working in office. And so for several months, we were 100% from our homes. And then in mid-June, we started a gradual return. And so I'm, I'm back in the office today. Um, our offices are, are anywhere from you know, 25% to 75% full today um, based on uh, our ability to comply with government orders, based on our own parameters that we've established relative to safety. And then, you know, CDC guidelines obviously are, are in play as well. And so we're, we're gradually returning. Um, but as I said earlier, we are always going to be primarily in, in the office firm because of culture, because of relationships. Um, that said, we've learned a lot this summer about working from home. And so I think when all is said and done, people will be working from the office, but I think we'll have a greater dose of flexibility. There's always been an element of flexibility, but I think the, you know, hey, I'm, you know, Tuesdays, I'm going to work from home because of blank. Um, so be it. I mean, Monday, this coming Monday, I'm going to work from home um, because of some things going on around our house. Um, I may not have done that a year ago, but now it's kind of, oh, what the heck, I'll work from home. No big deal. Right. And, and so I think there's going to be a, a greater amount of flexibility, but at the end of the day, we're still going to be in the office thing. I, and, and I think that we have done well as a firm continuing the projects and the initiatives that were underway. Where I don't, where I think we've seen the challenges is with the new stuff. It's new people that are integrating in. And when you have a person that joins you in April and their entire experience at Kimley Horn is six months of working from their homes, we're not doing a very good job relationship building with them or teaching them the culture, right? And as a firm that hires as many new people as we do, you do that a few cycles and we're suddenly lost that culture that I bragged about 30 minutes ago. And we don't want to do that. New projects, right? It's, it's been a little bit harder, new initiatives. Um, and so it's been, I think we've done well. I'm proud of how we've done. But the fact of the matter is it's negatively impacted us this year. And the longer it goes on, it's going to negatively impact us even more. One of my, one of my partners, I think, has a really good way of describing this. Pre-COVID, we built a lot of strength, cultural strength, relationship strength, financial strength. The longer we work from home, the more we're testing that strength. And it's never smart to continually test your strength. And so we want to, we want to get back in the office so we get back into strength building as opposed to testing the strength. And that, that's really the approach where we're taking yeah. how that's going to play out. Who knows? Right. Um, well, but we're the, certainly, we certainly are constantly having more and more people returning to the office. And we're also being aware that there are some populations that should not, or, or it's not in their best interest to return now. I mean, those with health situations, people with health situations, we're saying, please stay home. We also have a ton of working parents um, who are uh, suddenly homeschool teachers. Um, and in those situations, we're encouraging them to work from home as well. Um, and so those that don't have kind of those two major um, restraints, either a health issue or there's some kind of parenting 
um, or caregiving thing that, that they're needing to be up from. We're not requiring yet, but we're encouraging others who don't fit in those categories to get back in the office. And we're gradually getting there. Right. Well, and the fact that you did build that strength of culture, you can rely on it in times of stress or times of disassociation. So, I mean, that, that's, I, mean, it, I guess that's the asset you're building on now, but I guess it gets into how have you maintained the culture over the, the years and decades is because you think about it and you act on it and you, you, you figure out what it takes to maintain that. So it's yeah. probably no different now, maybe a little bit more strain yeah. and stress yeah. involved, but it seems like it's yeah. no different than you've been doing to maintain yeah. culture all along. Well, it's funny. It was, as we were going into COVID, our, uh, our, our IT leader um, basically said, hey, I'm, I think I'm going to buy a whole lot more licenses on Zoom, right? And it was like, oh, wow, man, that's a lot of money. Why are we doing that, right? And, and oh, by the way, we were working on Skype, and we were starting to introduce Teams, and we think we're going to expedite that transition over to teams, right? And so there have been a lot of really, really wise investments that have been made. And I mean, pre-COVID, when I had a conversation with somebody, I rarely turned my camera on. Now, as a practical matter, as soon as I got on the phone with somebody, I turned my camera on, hmm. right? And I think that's been a positive change. And so we have, we have tried really hard to have as many relationship building things as we can do virtually um, this summer. Um, and again, I think that ultimately will be a positive result um, when we get out of some of this craziness. Right. Well, as, as we close here, is there anything else you'd like to share or add um, along the lines of what we've been talking about? No, I, I, I think the, I guess the, if I was to encourage folks, particularly those that, that lead firms, I would state it this way. Um, so often you read in websites or marketing materials, you know, grandiose phrases like our people are our most important asset, right? We've all read that plenty of times. I believe at my core that it is the right thing to do because I believe that it is great business, right? By, by being a great place to work, by truly treating employees as they are, by, by sharing with them, helping them to reap the rewards of their hard work as they should, you make investments in them, you develop them, you retain them. And so being a great place to work is great for business. And the place of let's, let's kind of do it on the cheap with employees, to me, that is not a long-term, that is not the best long-term strategy. So that would be my encouragement. I, I've, I've, one of the good things to play in the HR role at Kinley Horn is my, my non-HR partners are the ones who come up with the really good ideas of how we ought to take care of our staff. Because the people here, they kind of get it. And it, it's really wonderful. So if I can encourage um, folks in any direction is invest in your people. Truly try to be a great place to work. Um, because it, at the end of the day, it will improve your bottom line. Well, well, well said. Well, thank you for that. How, how can listeners get in touch to learn more um, or to get in touch with you and learn more about Kimley Horn? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so anybody's welcome to reach out that way. Um, you know, then as with anybody at Kimley Horn, it's first name dot last name at Kimley. So Barry.Barber at Kimley Horn, are, those are probably the, the easiest ways to, to reach out and I'll do my best to to respond if folks have uh, have questions or things they would like to hear more about. So, 
Glad to do that. Well, excellent, Barry. I want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing about just some important, I mean, culture and performance drive our business. People are attracted to that. And I'm so thankful that you were able to share um, how you've been able to navigate that, you know, for the last decades and looking forward. Great. It was great being with you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.